very thankful to be back in town and be back with my children and miss them. I miss, um, I still miss my wife. I still have not seen her yet. She has been out of town since Friday, so I will get to see her then. And um, and I miss you guys. And uh, one thing about I was gone for about 11 days, and one thing about being gone is I come back and you guys look much kinder and um, nicer. So, in all seriousness, very thankful to be here and excited to be back in 1 Samuel with all of you. And we'll be in chapter 11 today. And we're only going to read a few verses. But I do want to give, um, I do want to give a brief introduction to chapter 11 before we read verses 12 through 15. Uh, first, let me pray for our time in God's Word. Father, extend your hand and pour out your grace and pour out your wisdom. Father, I pray uh, that we could read together now um, something from this text from thousands of years ago that would transcend time, that would unify us to the people of God. And therefore, we'd hear your voice. We'd be led by your Spirit. We'd understand your covenant love. We'd be motivated to be on mission with you. We'd love others. We would see the opportunity that we have to love Christ by loving our neighbors, by loving um, even the people in this room. Father, use your word mightily in our life. Father, I pray for these for this time, right next few minutes, um, Lord, that we would not look to other things right now that are are trying to capture our attention. Um, that seem more important. Instead, I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, we would be able to put those things aside. And we would, and maybe even better, we would put those things under your reign and look to be led by you. Allow us to see Christ. We pray this in his strong name. Amen. Okay, well, we have gone through ten chapters thus far. And what we have seen is... Uh, the sinful pursuit of Israel to move away from having a prophet of God such as Samuel in being their leader. Instead, they have pursued a king, and this has not come through. Um, pers- this pursuit has not come through prayer. It's also not come through seeking the word of Samuel. So, in other words, that would be the same as not, it, it's. It has not come through seeking God's word, but instead they have looked to choose a king um, that would fit their desires, their hopes, their dreams for a nation. And so that has led them to uh, Saul being the leader of the people of God. And at the end of chapter 10, what we see is that Samuel has anointed and introduced Saul as king. However, we've seen nothing of his reign thus far. As a matter of fact, at the end of of chapter 10, Samuel tells everybody to go back to their homes. They've all gathered. He's announced. And (laughs) the people go back, but also Saul goes back to his home. And, And so what we see is that Saul is just at that point 
kind of one of the people um, that goes back to his home. And so we know nothing of his reign. But as we get into chapter 11, what we see is the person of Nahash, who is an Ammonite, who is looking to bring disgrace upon Israel. And he has captured the city of Jabesh-Gilead. This is at the beginning of chapter 11. And he is telling them that that he is going to gouge out all of their right eyes to bring disgrace upon the whole country. Now, when King Saul hears about this, what the text tells us, I think this is in verse 6. Yeah, verse 6. What, what happens is the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon Saul. And the result of the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon the leader of God's people is that Saul then leads Israel to defeat the Ammonites. This was a country that they had feared and been threatened by for years. This is one that they. This is a country that they had longed to get out from under, um, under their power, and their threats. And Saul leads them to that place. He leads them um, to a place of being a powerful nation. And so, with that in mind, this leads us to to uh, verses twelve through fifteen, which we will read today. Before I do that, I want to ask this. Ask this question: Would you? Would you want a king? Would you desire a king? And our response to that may be, and some of this is based on experience, theory, things of that nature, but our our response may be, why would I want a king? I wouldn't want that kind of centralized power. I wouldn't desire that kind of unaccounted for authority. Why would I want that? But when God wants to show us a true king, the the questions become very different than those kind of questions or those kind of thoughts. Because when God wants to show us a true king, our questions turn into things like, would I want someone that defends me? Would I want a king, would you want a king that would protect you from your enemies? Would you want a gracious king, one that's committed to justice and at the same time extends mercy? Would you want a king that would make your cities, your communities? Would you want a king that make, would make your schools, businesses better? Would you want a king that was a good king? Would you long for that? And as we look, so let's consider those thoughts as we look at 11, 12 through 15, 1 Samuel. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to ask this question, and I don't think I got it on the screen. I'm almost sure I didn't. But let's, I want to ask this question. What are, what are the results of Israel's chosen king? 
What are the results of Israel's chosen king? And I'm going to ask a couple questions. But in looking at this question, what are the results of Israel's chosen king? And we're going to look at it in a context that comes from this passage. The results are a kingdom of power, a kingdom of grace, and a kingdom of praise. Or maybe a better way to put it is the results are glimpses into a kingdom of power, a kingdom of grace, and a kingdom of praise. First, as we look at a kingdom of power here as being a result or a glimpse into a kingdom of power, what we see is that Israel has just conquered this other nation. They have come out from under um, the threats and the fear that this nation has uh, brought upon them. And we are seeing here a king and we are seeing a kingdom through Saul and the people of Israel. And, And in this context, we are seeing a kingdom of power. Because what we are seeing is that captives have been set free. We are seeing that God's people are forcefully advancing here. They are forcefully expanding and they're advancing. We're seeing enemies being overcome and we're seeing enemies being cast out. And so what we have is we have people that are, the people of Israel are responding to this victory and they are seeing a powerful kingdom. And this is a kingdom that they've wanted. They've longed for. And they have confidence in their king here. What we also see is that this is a result of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when, as we look at a powerful kingdom here, it is so because of the Spirit of God. And though, and though the, the Holy Spirit works in a different manner than the, in the Old Covenant than, than He does in the New, the authors of the Old Testament were very well aware That God redeemed and sustained His people, not by human might, not by human power, but by the Spirit of God. This is even in the Old Testament. This is how these things were brought about. So, in other words, even before the cross, even under Saul's reign, who who, um, God's people have blackballed, okay? Even under Saul's reign, what we see is a kingdom of power, and this is real power. This is real God-ordained power here. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. So what are the results of Israel's chosen king? We get a glimpse into the kingdom of power. We also get a glimpse into a kingdom of grace. And this is a direct result or a a direct response to the power. Okay, because the, the people of Israel are so in awe of their king at this moment. They're so in awe of Saul and what he has done. And there's so much loyalty there that you see in verse 11, they, they say, Who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Or in other words, who has questioned his ability to rule us? Bring them here. We want, to put them, to, we want them to be put to death. But Saul responds. His reaction is one of grace. He he says, no one's going to die today. The Lord has brought salvation to Israel. And so we see Saul, the leader of God's people, representing God, and he's doing, doing it in an accurate way. And he's doing it in a way of grace. And so in this text, what are the results of Israel's chosen king? We see a glimpse into power. We also see a glimpse into grace. We also see a glimpse into a kingdom of praise. 
Because the people, as, Sam, as Saul said, no one's going to die today. And then as Samuel says, let us go down to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. The people respond. And they respond with peace offerings. Sacrifice peace offerings. And this is to show us this is how they worshipped. So they're seeing that God has given them a man that was, is going to lead them in battle and then show and reveal the Lord's power and grace. And they respond in worship. They give praise to God. And they're proclaiming Saul as king. Proclaiming Saul as the one that God is demonstrating his power through. And so true glimpses. This is real power. This is real grace. And this is real praise. This is a true glimpse into this kingdom. But we're not reading ahead. So I haven't read through chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, all the way through the end of the book. But the author wants us to see something else here. The author wants us to see something more. And he, so the author of this passage is wanting us to look at this and say, this is great. But it's for a moment. Because the author knows that the people who are reading this, and even you, you and I who are reading this today, we know that Saul did not remain king. This is great for a moment. We see power and grace and we see the people responding in praise. We see a kingdom that's being re- renewed. But we know that this did not last. If we get to the New Testament, we also see that Jesus, the true king, he's not called the son of Saul. He's called the son of David, which is to say none of Saul's offspring ever sat on the throne. This kingdom came crashing down. It was a temporary kingdom. And so we're looking at this and, and we're thinking, look at this. But what happened? What happened to Saul? What happened to the people? And a common theme that runs all throughout the Old Testament, really this is really all throughout Scripture, but a common theme, especially Old Testament theme, is that as God continues to show up, as He continues to demonstrate grace, as He continues to show His power, and as we would think, okay, He's done with these people, He continues back over and over again, but there's a common theme. And the common theme is that disaster comes to a people who choose their own king. They may have temporary, there may be temporary goodness. There may even be temporary glimpses into God's goodness because of His grace and because of His presence and because of His commitment. But when people choose their own king, disaster follows. And that's the theme. And so it leads us to this question of saying, look at what could have been. Look at what could have been here. What if this wasn't temporary? This leads us to ask. What if there was continual power, grace, and praise? And I think it leads us, instead of what are the results of Israel's chosen king, it leads us to ask this question. What are the results? What would be the results? Of God's chosen king. What would be the results of God's chosen king? So what if we could take these glimpses of power and of grace 
and of praise. And what if we could take these glimpses that are here under Saul's reign, a temporary kingdom. And what if we could take these and place them under the context of a permanent reign, a permanent kingdom that is ruled by God's chosen king. The people's chosen king, let's move them. And what if we put them under God's chosen king? And so this is what I wanted to do. What are the results of God's chosen king? Using the same things that we see in this text. Power, grace, and praise. And so as we look at power, and it can be a challenge to look at this and see that Okay, Israel here, the power was demonstrated and realized through conquering of enemies, through violence, war, um, uh, through, uh, through bloodshed. This is how we see the kingdom of power. And it's hard to connect that with the New Testament. There, there can be a challenge there. But in fact, what the New Testament does, especially through the words of Christ, is that we see a kingdom of power in a very similar way. Matthew 5.10 tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the persecuted. Who are, blessed are those that are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We also see in Matthew 12.28 that Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come. So if I cast out the enemies... If I cast out demons. In, in, in Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus speaking again, he says the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And there's some translations that even say the kingdom of God is violently advancing. He tells us in Luke four eighteen that he has come to set the captives free. And so what we see is that this kingdom of power in the New Testament, the kingdom of power post the incarnation of Christ, very well connects with the kingdom of power that we are seeing here. Paul in Ephesians 6, when talking about the invisible nature of this kingdom, he talks about um, uh, putting on the armor of God and he akins it to going into battle. And so, in other words, when we consider the kingdom of power, this is, it's so necessary to see. The scripture never veers away from this. That as we look for the kingdom of God to move forward, expand, as we look for it to flow outside of our church and into our community and then into our nation and then into our world, it comes with warfare. There's warfare involved. It's a spiritual nature of warfare. That's very real. It's very real. Also, just as we see the kingdom of power manifested by the, by the Holy Spirit rushing upon Saul, this is also where we get our power. It's the Spirit of God. And yet, it's in a more corporate and a more consistent way. So what... The author here is telling us in chapter 11, it says the Spirit of God comes upon one man. And the one man goes and leads the nation in battle. But what we find in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit of God doesn't just come upon Peter. The Spirit of God doesn't just come upon John. The Spirit of God rushes in upon the church in a corporate manner, equipping us all 
for the work of God's kingdom. Equipping us all for power, for authority, for strength. Also, because of the nature of this power, because of understanding that that the Spirit of God is our provision and our authority and where He's the only hope for the witness of Christ. <laughs> the Okay, First Samuel wants us to see that if the Spirit of the Lord had not rushed upon Saul, that Saul and Israel would have been humiliated by the Ammonites. They would have been destroyed, completely defeated. Acts chapter 2 wants us to see if the Spirit of God had not rushed in upon the church, it would have collapsed. There would have been nothing. There would have been no way to witness about Christ, to be a witness for Christ. And it's the same thing for us today. If the Spirit of God is not at work in a mighty and a powerful way, then there's no witness. We're here, we gather, we're in, a, we're in a, the so-called upper room, but we have no direction. There's no meaning. We don't even know what's next. But the Spirit gives us mission and purpose. The Spirit also presents us opportunities to see our weaknesses, to have those weaknesses exposed. And then, and then to not look to our own strength to overcome those weaknesses. And this, I think, this is where this is where we really do not know how to function as God intends. This is where we really miss it. And, and, I, and so I can just, I can just, let me give you my, my own story and my own, um, my own thoughts about my own heart in this. When I fail at something, or when a weakness of mine is exposed, then this is, this, this is my tendency. That if somebody has not witnessed my failure, if somebody over here has not seen my weaknesses exposed, here's what I, I'm going to lie. I'm not going to be honest about my failure. I'm going to lie to the people that haven't seen it. And the people that have witnessed it have seen my failures. I'm going to push. I'm going to push them away. I'm. I'm going to distance myself from them. And I'm not. Whether they can help me or not. And both of those are. In Psalm 139, it's. Uh, and this is what I tried to do here. When I'm seeing, okay, here's the Spirit of God that comes upon the church. He exposes our weaknesses. Somewhere in Psalm 139 it says, Know me, test me, search me, know my thoughts. And so this is what's coming out of my heart. And I'm saying, okay, so here I'm lying because I don't want people to see my weaknesses. I want them to see me in my strength. And I'm over here and I'm pushing people away that have witnessed it because they can truly see my weaknesses and I don't want them involved. I don't want them exposed. And so one way, and so you're saying, what a nutcase. But I think a lot of you can identify with that. I think you can identify. Some of you are victims. Weaknesses are exposed and you say, I'm a victim. Someone else has caused me to be weak. Someone else 
I, I would have gotten to this place if this person hadn't have come in and taken away my strength. And therefore, you're claiming strength if it weren't, wasn't for other people. What the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God exposes our weaknesses and then says, you have no strength to overcome your weaknesses for my glory. You must look to me. You must look for the Spirit to overcome. And so this is why this is this is why when we're not able to see this, this is so paralyzing. Please, please, please hear why this is so paralyzing. The Spirit of God did not come and rush upon the church to give us a boost. The Spirit of God did not come as we're approaching the finish line and we're just needing to get over the He didn't come to just give us a shove. What the Bible tells us is that God's Spirit makes the fool wise, makes the weak strong. The Spirit of God comes in and, and, and makes the suffering one rejoice, makes the dead person alive. And so do you see, can you see that if you are Can you see that if you are looking to uh, move up in your company and the only way to do that is to either be dishonest, manipulative, or to run over other people, lack integrity, that's the only way to get up, that's the only way to move forward, and otherwise you're seeing yourself and you're saying, I don't have the ability to do this and, and this is how everybody else is doing it. And therefore, this is my only way to move forward. The Spirit is exposing you. The Spirit doesn't come along and say, no, you're good enough. What the Spirit does is says, you're right. There's no way for you to advance in your own strength unless you, pro you proceed with sinfulness. That's it. And that leaves us in a very weak position. To say, okay, if I'm going to better my company, if I'm going to bring redemption in my area of work, or anywhere in my area of life, I'm weak. And I need the Spirit of God to bring in redemption. To lead me. Not to show me that I'm good enough. But to come. Remind me of the fact that Christ is in me and Christ wants to redeem. Christ wants to restore. Christ wants us to be a benefit to our world and all the people around us. Now, some of us, and I have example after example that I could refer to in my own life, but some of us have done well to build a kingdom. Some of us have done well to get to a place that looks very good, healthy. Um, we've developed a good um, reputation, family, these things. But here's what this text is wanting us to see about this kingdom that has given us glimpses of power and grace and praise. Is that if we build a kingdom that has our choice of a king, it's temporary. It will crumble. It will fall. When everything else is shaken, this will just crumble with everything else. 
But the Gospel tells us that there is something different. That there is a permanent King. It's God's chosen King. And if we let Christ be our King, God's chosen One, then this kingdom will never crumble. It will never fall. And so, what if we could shift? Okay? What if we could take all of our desires and dreams, hopes, and we could shift those, not to these kingdoms that we've created, but what if we could move them to the kingdom of Christ? And we could say, everything that I hope for, everything that I long for, comes under His reign. And all of my dreams are that Christ's kingdom would expand, move forward, advance. And the Bible is very clear. This kingdom never falls. We would be perfectly fulfilled. We would be, um, we would be a part of something that's not temporary but permanent. There's also here, as we look at a kingdom of grace and looking at it in the context of God's chosen king. What we see in the text in 1 Samuel is that Saul spared these Israelites, the, one, the ones that were in open rebellion, the ones that had openly and publicly questioned his leadership. And he extends grace. But there's a, there's a deeper and a, there's a real story of grace here that goes far beyond that. And if you, if you have your Bibles open, in 1 Samuel 10, 18... So this is one chapter back. As we look at this real story of grace, this is what verse 18 says. This is Samuel speaking. And he said, Samuel, to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. The real story of grace is not just that the ones that were in open rebellion were saved. The real story of grace is that following Israel's rejection of God, God has saved them. God has spared them. God has poured out His grace in the whole country. This is revealing a kingdom that we, we, we cannot understand the grace that is here. This is, a, this is a glimpse into a kingdom that offers grace that is never ending. And it comes over and over. The fact that we are just talking about the kingdom of God this morning as something that we can be a part of, that's unbelievable. The fact that you and I, are, the fact that I am able to believe that I can be a part of this kingdom is amazing. When I was about nine years old, maybe ten, I started tennis lessons, and I had been playing tennis for a couple of years at this time. But our 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 town expanded our tennis program, and so it brought in a tennis pro. Uh, to be a part of um, planning tournaments and teaching lessons and things like that. And so I wanted to start taking lessons with those in my age group. And so a number of my friends wanted to do it. They had, never, they had not played tennis. And so I knew that I was coming in with a little more experience, things like that. And I was excited to, to start these. And the first lesson that we had from this tennis pro is he just wanted to see how we could hit the tennis ball. And so what he would do, he'd say, okay, just toss the tennis ball, let it bounce, and then swing a forehand. 
And so I did. I did. I was the first one up. I was eager to be the first one up. So I tossed the tennis ball up, swung, hit it over the net. Then he said, "Okay, let me see." And then he said, "That's very good, Jake." So I was very proud. And then he said, "Now do your backhand." And so I did it. I knew nobody knew how to do a backhand. They were probably just so I knew it, and I had the grip. And so I hit my backhand. And he said, "That's very good, Jake." And I did, he wanted me to do it a couple more times. I did it. All of them go over the net into play. And then my friends get up, and they do the same thing, except to the, they hit it, and the ball goes that way or into the net, or some miss it. And some hit it way up high in the air. But he said, that's good. Now, do your backhand. And, he, and, then he, and they hit it, and, it was, and he said, that's good. And so here I am, and I'm saying, this is what he told me. And so I step in. I step in, and I say, no, you need to keep your racket level. Follow through. And after the lesson was over, he very kindly, and without anyone hearing, says, Jonathan Lasby, he comes over to me, and he says, Jake, I was giving encouragement, not because anybody's swing was perfect, but because they're here and they're, they're hitting the ball. If, if I was looking for a perfect swing, no one would have gotten a compliment, including you. <laughs> and, and this was a good life lesson. But it's, it was also, as I look back, it's a picture of a good king. It's a picture of a good king that rules over a kingdom that needs grace that I could never rule. <laughs> that I could never I would cast everybody out, and then I would cast myself out. And then it made me realize I could never really actually, if I was ruling, never be a part of this kingdom. I could never actually be in. But when God chooses our king, we become part of a kingdom that's much better than anything that we can imagine. In fact, in John 1.16 we're told, for of his fullness we have received. And then it says, and grace upon grace. And this is to tell us that his grace keeps coming and coming. And this, is, this, this causes, demands humility. Because what this means is, this grace upon grace, what this means is is that, is that when we begin to start looking out and then we notice other people's sin, at that very moment, His grace is rescuing us. At that very moment, we're seeing others. At the same time that we're calling, even rightly calling people to repentance, at that very moment, His grace is rescuing us. It's grace upon grace that keeps coming and coming. And this is all to say, we can never be this king. And there's no one among us that could ever be this king. And this causes us to embody this grace towards others. This leads us to receive this grace and this leads us to respond to this grace by looking to be gracious towards others, by wanting others to see the grace of Christ in the way that we interact with them and the way that we um, uh, the way that we love them, care for them, talk with them, help them through life. 
Disciple them all of these things. And we're finishing up here in this last point. It's a kingdom of power, a kingdom of grace, and under a king of God's choosing, a kingdom of praise. Now this is what Hebrews 10 tells us about 1 Samuel chapter 11 and really many other chapters in the Old Testament. It tells us that this chapter, what we see in verse 15, has but a shadow of the good things to come. And therefore when we see offerings and sacrifices, ways of worship in which people, um, which people approach God and seek His peace through, through offerings that this is very temporary. And, and as a matter of fact, probably just lasts for seconds in most cases. And so our hope is not in that. And it never could be. Our hope must be in the one offering for all of time, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ as He gave Himself up willingly on the cross. And this is to say that this offering is everlasting And it continues forever and ever. And so when we're in the new heavens and the new earth for a million years, what we are going to do is we are going to be giving thanks for something that happened one million and two thousand and something years ago on the cross. Because in a million years, that offering will mean everything. We have no... we We will know then... That, that we have no business being in that kingdom without the cross, without the offering. With that in mind, turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful. Okay. We have the temporary kingdom that gives us glimpses, power, grace, praise, shifting it to the kingdom that has a king of God's choice. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is our consuming fire. Where does our praise come from? How are we a people? How are we a kingdom of praise? And it's this. We, we know we have no business being in this kingdom. I have no business being in this kingdom. But what God says is that I'm going to give you a king. And he's going to be perfectly righteous. And then he's going to take on everything that is wrong with you. That makes you unacceptable. And he's going to take it on. And then I'm going to crush him and forsake him. And then I'm going to take all of his perfection and I'm going to then give it to you. And therefore you're going to be not just, not simply servants of this king. You're going to be co-heirs with this king. Ruling and reigning in his kingdom. Why? Why? Because we're righteous. We're worthy of the reign and the rule alongside of Christ. We're His co-heir. So do you want a king like this? 
Now go back. Do we want a king? Do, would we want a king like this? The king of God's choice. God the Son. The only true king. So as I close this in prayer, may Christ be our king. And then may everything that we touch and see, may it come under the reign. May we, may we look to get it under the reign of Christ in His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank You that, Lord, You're the one that does the work. You are the one that takes Your Word and then um, not just bounces it off of us, but instead You're the one that really drives it in and lets it melt upon our heart. And so, Father, we, we look to You now. Lord, we pray that we would fall not under some kind of temporary kingdom, one that's when it's shaken, it's going to fall. Father, we pray now that you would lead us by your word. Our hearts would be in line with your will, wherein we come under your reign. And we look to a king that you've chosen, the only true king that can lead us into eternity. We pray this in the strong name of Christ.